0: Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian, as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. Well, uh, good evening and uh, welcome, John. Thanks for coming in, man. Like, tell us your story. And I've known you for a long time. So, but there's lots of stuff that I won't be able to talk about. <laughs> so you'll have to talk about it. Right. So I'm going to let you do all the talking. Okay.
1: Well, uh, thank you, David, for, um, inviting me on your show. Uh, really honored to be here and,
0: uh, you're welcome. It's our pleasure.
1: Yeah. It's been, a um, a great, uh, friendship. I've really enjoyed, um, you know, the time I've, I've spent with you and, uh, workshops have done and so on and uh, it's been great and um, Yeah, I've been on this uh, journey of recovery for a while now and I guess maybe uh, uh, Start off uh, I often wonder like, you know, where did all this uh, addiction come from in my life and uh, Yeah, I asked to go back to my My uh, my dad. He was an mm. alcoholic. He's kind of a functioning alcoholic. But, um, yeah, it was always, uh, you know, we lived on a farm out west of the city and always worked during the day and, you know, kind of got the farm stuff done. And But then, you know, come afternoon, it would be, uh, he'd, he'd be disappearing and it's, well, where are you going, Dad? It's, we'll have to see a man about a dog. Mm. And that was his way of saying that he was um, heading off to the bar for a few beers. And... Uh, you know, he always promised to be home by dinner time, but, you know, never made that mm-hmm. that uh, appearance until later. And, uh, you know, so the addiction certainly uh, runs in my family. And um, uh, it was, yeah, the other thing I'd say about my dad was that um never had a conversation with him. It was always like a monologue that... Um, he would talk at you and you would just listen to whatever his uh, story of the day was. And um, so, yeah, I never really got um, a really good bond with him. And, uh, you know, I think he was hard as an alcoholic. He was fairly um, nice, nice, jovial guy, happy guy, but, um, you know, pretty detached. And, you know, it was always on me about, you know, it's It's not not good enough, like there was always two ways of doing things. there was his way and the wrong way, and I invariably picked the wrong way to do things. so that was really the story of me growing up on the farm and um, uh, working hard, I was an only child, so uh, my parents were older. I felt I guess. Uh, Yeah, I was happy on the farm. It was like, that's what I grew up with. I didn't know anything different and, you know, love being busy and always had projects to work on and stuff to do and, uh, but it was always this case of, you know, it was never good enough for my dad and he was always, you know, pointing that out and, you know, why are you doing that? And, you know, why can't you just, I just want you to do that, you know, just forget about that and, and uh, let me show you how it's done and blah, blah, blah. Mm And so I was, was really uh, trying to please him, you know, growing up. As, you know, kids often do, they want to please their parents. Yeah. And I really had, uh, had a tough time doing that. I just, uh, you know, tried for years to, um, you know, get him to appreciate um, what I was doing and how hard I was working around the farm and so on. And so... I mean, that just followed, followed me um, into the rest of my life. I was uh, fairly, you know, shy, I guess, growing up. And uh, I was just didn't spend, um, you know, without other siblings and kind of isolated on the farm. I just learned to work, and that's where I got a lot of my self-worth from, was from working. And, you know, I, I did okay in school. I went on to university. You know, worked hard in university, uh, got an engineering degree and then uh, again just fell into working and uh, basically spent, you know, um, uh, you know, a lot of the intervening, you know, 35 years or whatever just um, uh, always putting work first and, uh, you know, so that's, that's how my workaholism developed. And, um yeah, I've heard very similar stories to, uh, you know, with a lot of other workaholics I've um, interacted with and, uh, uh, you know, this um, inability to please parents and, and parents that were probably, um, you know, had some sort of addictions and, you know, I'd say my, my mother, she was a very you know, kind, nice woman. Um, but she was really just, you know, all she did from uh, morning to night and into the night was, was work. And, uh, you know, I, I never I never saw a play or experienced play, you know. I've, a lot of um, kids grow up and they play with other kids a lot and they uh, play with their families and so on. and you know I did that at school, of course, but you know it was always like no extracurricular activities for John just you know get home, get to work, lots of stuff to do on the farm so um, And then um, yeah, so I always thought though that my workaholism, you know is what i'm I'm a workaholic in in recovery and I always thought my Uh, ability to work hard like that was how I defined myself that um, you know I always um, prided myself and been able to uh, just keep working and you know I got enjoyment out of it I uh, like I said I was um, graduated as an engineer and got a job you know I've worked mostly most of my career has been here in Calgary Mm -hmm. working in the oil industry and there was always lots to get wrapped up in at work, you know? And so um, my personality too was that I would just, you know, get wrapped up in things and want to just like keep going, like get a project, kind of gets on the brain. I just want to keep working, working, working. And you know, that um, I worked for workaholic companies as well. And I mean that really helped spur my workaholism as well because, um, you know, it's a um, one of the um, addictions that you know is can even be seen kindly on by you know the the world that we live in. Like you're a workaholic. Well, like everybody's a workaholic, mm-hmm. and you know, working is good, and yeah. yeah, you get praise for working hard, and you get you know. You get promotions at work, and you get a better job, and it's like rah rah rah! It's a good thing. And I had always, you know, defined myself as being this, um, you know, smart, hardworking person. And um, and so then it was, you know, I guess understandable that work always came first. If it it was my defining thing in my life, so I had to put it first, you know, above family, above relationships, and and so on. Um, so I ended up I got um, married I think I was about 26 when I got married the first time and um, uh, got married to a lady that was um, was a little bit older than me she'd already had a, a son and um, uh, you know it, the relationship started off well and as a lot of relationships do, mm-hmm. and uh, but uh, you know the, the marriage started to run into difficulties a few years down the road, and uh, you know some stresses and so on, and I had no idea how to handle it or fix it, and um, I wasn't very self-aware, you know, back in those days, and um, just kind of was really clueless, I guess, at at what it took to um, have a good relationship and uh, so my, you know, I just started working harder and uh, you know, my first wife, um, uh, that was okay for her. She was kind of a workaholic too, so we ended up just um, you know, both spending a lot of time working and not a lot of time doing anything else and there was years where i was um you know didn't spend uh much time with friends or family mm-hmm. and um you know the problems that were in the relationship uh didn't get dealt with they just mm-hmm. got bypassed and and left and um yeah i i ended up getting uh, you know to be in a more and more unhappy place and uh you know, I finally thought, well, like, I just, I can't continue to live like this. Um, uh, You know, it's time for me to do something. And so I um, went down the path of a a divorce. I thought, you know, if I don't get divorced, um, you know, I just, it just seems like a really dark ending. I started um, thinking about, you know, uh, not wanting to to live just with, just and it was my disease. It was really, uh, you know, just thoughts of um, in this situation, this relationship that I don't know how to fix, and just you know, sad with myself and like, you know, woe is me, what an unhappy boy, mm-hmm. and um, you know, just. Yeah, I kind of go into that uh, a darker and darker place and kind of just get more and more depressed and uh, you know it was um, so i mean that's where i should have at some point along the lines there you know realized my codependency mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm a codependent as well and uh But that's that's something uh, I'll talk about a little bit later. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it was a very codependent uh, relationship, that first marriage. But um, finally kind of saw the light and ended up um, getting out of it, getting a divorce and moving on. And life was was happier for a while. And then I met another wonderful woman. And uh, we fell in love quickly and Mm -hmm. ended up um, Getting married and um, have been in a your know, relationship this um, for over 14 years now been married for um, over twelve and um, yeah you know is another relationship that uh, started off very well and um, uh, I think the fact that I was um, a workaholic, um, that I, you know, had a good career, and uh, you know had this, you know, prestigious job, and you know was making lots of money, and so on, that was was very attractive. When um, got together with my second wife, and um, you know she thought that was wonderful, and uh well, It was, um, I thought, um, you know, because I was still very much a workaholic, like I never figured any of this stuff out, like I was, you know, had been going through my career for, you know, 25 years kind of thing that I just, um, you know, went through a divorce and got remarried and just um, the constant thing though was always my job and my, you know, that was my anchor. And and always came first in my life. Um, it's
0: hard to see that as a problem, isn't it? In, you, the, in the middle of it, like, I think lots of people underestimate how how hard workaholism is on a family.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, and it was... Um, uh, yeah, I didn't, had no idea that it was hard on the family mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I ended up um, the the woman I married, she had two young daughters, so I ended up with two stepdaughters, mm-hmm. and um, uh, these stepdaughters, you know, were um, you know preteens when I uh, met them, and now, now they're now grown women, and they turned out um, very well, lovely ladies. But it was, you know, very hard being a stepfather, mm-hmm. and you know me being a workaholic was. Um, you know was was devastating on them and uh, you know all three women were very kind and generous to me and inviting me into their lives mm-hmm. and and uh really you know took me on as husband and stepfather and and uh, you know again like I said, the relationship started off well um, but then it was you know um with the uh, and the girls were then they were teenagers so you know that was went through all that sort of stuff and uh, my wife used to always say that you know she was um, uh, she'd been a single parent with her first husband and she was still single parent Mm -hmm. that um, all the stuff was left to uh, to her to do with the girls Mm -hmm. because I was always working and uh, you know, didn't didn't spend a lot of time with the girls, you know, tried to you know, take them to their dance lessons and stuff like that, but it was it was a little bit awkward because, you know, they weren't my daughters. They were, you know, just these kids that I was now looking after kind of thing. I mean, that's the way it kinda started off to some some degree and so just, you know, didn't have that father-daughter rapport with them that, um, you know, it's kinda like, well, Didn't play with them when they were little like little kids. You know how little kids are you play with them, you know, you get that bond and uh, You know, they were just old enough when I got together with them that I really couldn't do that very well. Yeah and um, You know, then it just kind of came out over time like, you know, you just like you're working too much like you're just um, That's all you ever do like we never do anything else like you work all week You come home and you work at night, and you come home and you work on the weekends. And um, I used—I remember thinking to myself, like, yeah, I wonder what's wrong here. Like, everybody else, they seem to be able to work, but then they take time off on the weekends. Mm -hmm. They go out and they play golf and they do stuff like that. And it's like, like, why can't I do that? Like. I work harder than any of them, and like I don't have any time off. I don't have any free time. I still have, I you know, in a matter. I mean, that's the way it is for uh, a workaholic. Like it, my mind. You know, I'm I'm a human doing, not a human being. Mm-hmm. So it's just one task after the next. And as soon as I would complete a task, it was like, okay, next. What's the next urgent mm-hmm. thing that has to be done? And. That's all that mattered. it was just like this blinders on tunnel vision all the time, and it's like you want to socialize on the weekend, like you want to get together with friends, and it's like, well, that was just so like it just made my skin crawl to think about mm-hmm. you know not working, taking time off to go and visit people or you know go and do something with the girls or mm-hmm. um, so um, uh you know and it was like well can we have family time like you know at least you know one thing that my wife always did was you know really like to have a family meal at dinner time. so Mm -hmm. I was pretty good at coming home at you know the right time from work. That was one thing even in my depths of my workaholism I wasn't usually late to come home Mm -hmm. for dinner. I got home on time. But I was just so exhausted after just you know a day at work for a workaholic is like you know putting in a, w- a week for a normal person like mm-hmm. you're just physically drained and I'd come home and sit down at the, the dinner table and I'd be kind of like a zombie. It's yeah. like I, I have you know I can sit there and listen, but I can't really think of anything to say. Mm-hmm. Or I'm still wound up on what I was thinking about and I just really want to get this meal finished so I can run up to my office upstairs and continue working.
0: Yeah. And it's uh, like an all-consuming thought, eh?
1: Yeah. Just like
0: booze, just like yeah. drugs.
1: Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, eventually my wife gave me a copy of this uh, book written by a doctor. I forget his uh, name right now, but it's called um, Chained to the Desk. Mm. And it's uh, written by this medical doctor about is workaholic patients. Mm-hmm. And um, she had read through it and uh, she gave it to me and said I should maybe start reading about it. And uh, so I started reading through it. And there's this one chapter where the doctor starts to explain about you know um, the effects that a workaholic can have on his family. And it's just as devastating as an alcoholic. Mm-hmm can have on their family. And I would say, like, what? Like, you're nuts. Like, no way. Like an alcoholic, like this, you know, he's a drunk bum. He's always like, you know, abusive when he comes home or he doesn't come home or like, you know, he can't keep a job or like, you know, I'm none of those things. Like, I'm, you know, I'm totally the opposite. I can hold down a job and, you know, I make good money and I really look after this family and, and, uh, you know, like, just because I, I don't have quite as much time to socialize as maybe the next dad like what, what's the big deal with that. Mm. But as I read through it you know I learned from that book from reading it that you know that the um, you know father, mother you know alcohol, the uh, workaholic person in the relationship they're just totally unemotionally um, available. Mm. And, I mean, that was, that was me, like I was, might have been there in flesh, but, yeah. you know, I wasn't really there in spirit, and it was like, you know, my wife it was like she was a single parent, like it was sort of uh, sitting at the family dinner table, it was kind of like the three of, the four of us, but there was the three of them having a nice conversation, and then the zombie sitting in the dad's spot and just sort of, you know, kind of out of it.
0: Yeah, um, That's a tough way to be, right? yeah yeah
1: yeah and so it got to be um, um more and more of a sore point, and um, uh, it really hit got to uh the stage where um, you know my wife wanted a divorce. it was like, you know, this isn't a family, you know we don't want to live like this um, and uh, the girls really. Did not like me at all, you know. They, uh, they really, uh, they were kind of. They were coaching their mother to, uh, you know, probably not a bad idea to, to get a divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's probably the right way to go with John. Like, and um, you know, and so she was open with me about this. Like, here's this book. You're a workaholic. I think you need to do something about it. Blah blah blah, and. Uh, Yeah, at the same time, um, things hadn't really been going all that well at work either. You know, like my career had been going, um, you know, it had always gone quite well and I had great opportunities and so on, but at that point, like, work just seemed to be getting more and more of a grind mm-hmm. and it wasn't going well and like the, uh, you know, where I worked, um, there's just sort of I was finding myself in more and more conflicts with mm-hmm. the other people in leadership positions there and um, you know I of course I didn't look at myself for that I thought well you know these people don't understand things and like I understand the way we need to do this mm-hmm. and so on and and uh, but so anyways my, my work was really starting to suffer as well yeah. and then I ended up having a a mishap, a sporting accident, and I I broke my hip, and uh, so then I was in a hospital with a broken hip and had to have surgery, and uh, you know, and I shortly after that found myself at home convalescing. Um, you know, my my wife and daughters would barely wanted to have anything to do with me, and here I was lying there with a broken hip, kind of thing, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh yeah it was really it was it was a bottom was like my my life was a mess you know yeah. i'm on the verge of a divorce, and uh there's a major blow to my health you know it was really like um made made me just realize you know and i had wonderful medical treatment and you know thank everybody for that and uh you know now a, a broken hip kind of thing is like well Kind of like almost no big deal, but you know, 100 years ago, like 500 years ago, or whatever, before modern medicine, like a broken hip, that would have been a death sentence. Like you would just you'd die, and uh, so, and I knew that that's what would have happened to me. Like you know, you just um, are helpless, and it doesn't take you very long to go downhill when you find yourself lying in bed day after day. So. Yeah, like I say, that was really a, a bottom for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I somehow got the inspiration to start. Yeah, I don't know if I'd heard of Workaholics Anonymous before or not, but I certainly got the inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a, um, uh, early in February in 2016, and uh, it was a Sunday afternoon, and I ended up finding the Workaholics Anonymous website. And there was a, um, a meeting, and it was actually, it was listed that it was an, an Edmonton meeting, um, Sunday Steps to Serenity. And it was Sunday night, and it was phone-in, and it was coming up in a few hours. And so um, I, uh, I ended up, I phoned into that mm-hmm. meeting from my hospital bed at home. <laughs> lying there with a broken hip, and I, I got on my first WA call.
0: Yeah, right on. That's good timing. Yeah so That would have been awful being a workaholic and laid up not able to work. Yeah. Oh
1: no, God, that would be terrible. Yeah. yeah So Yeah, and so I met a you know a couple of uh, wonderful people on that call and um Ended up uh, ordering, you know, the, the book um, off of their website. So Workaholics Anonymous has this um, wonderful book. It's called the um, uh, Workaholics Anonymous Book of Recovery. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, uh, just chock or block full of uh, really good stuff for the, uh, the workaholic. Yeah. And so I got my copy of that and I started phoning into these meetings. And uh, there was other meetings there uh, that I phoned into and um, started talking to some people. And I ended up, um, from that that first meeting that I phoned into as well, I ended up um, getting my first sponsor, Mm -hmm. WA. And... uh, yeah, WA, it's like it's a small community, you know, compared to AA or some of these other fellowships. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, workaholics are far and wide, so there's sort of phone sponsorship is is sort of the norm. Yeah. Are and there
0: any local meetings, like, in town? or?
1: Well, there is now because uh, myself and another fellow, um, he ended up on that same Sunday call about a year later. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, and then he found out I was from Calgary. He's from Calgary. And it's like, well, give me your number. it's like, let's start a meeting. Mm-hmm. And so we did. We started a uh, a meeting.
0: Congrats, man. Good for you.
1: Yeah. And um, I think it was about, it was yeah, it was about this time. I think we met probably either the last week of April or the first or second week in May, mm-hmm. uh, three years ago. Yeah, And uh, it's been going strong ever since. Right on. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And so now there is a local meeting. It's um, Wednesday nights in Calgary, sorry, Tuesday nights in Calgary at uh, 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Perfect. So,
0: And they just look at the website? Is there a website people can check out? Or? Yeah,
1: yeah. it's um, uh, workaholics-anonymous-dot-org. Uh, workaholics-anonymous-dot-org. And um, it's got all the meetings listed on there and uh, contact information and. Uh, so on, so.
0: Yeah. Right now, I'm as you're talking, like I'm just blown away by the the correlation to other, like chemicals, right? Yeah. To, to chemicals, the correlation between the addictive cycles, right? Like yeah. Because you could destroy your family as an alcoholic or a workaholic or all number of things, right? Yeah. Because once that becomes that obsessive um, focal point. Mm-hmm. it's just all it does is do damage Yeah, I think right because it yeah. takes away from every other area of your life yeah. yeah
1: yeah and as an addict I mean I got into this very destructive pattern of um, like my MO was martyr basically like mm. you know like that was my badge of honor to be a, a martyr mm. um, here I am I'm just you know this great guy just this great husband hard worker I'm such a good stepdad look at how well I take care of this family I just work 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 and mm-hmm. give them everything and and um, but hey why aren't you guys you know uh, grateful for that it was like you know my stepdaughters it's like well you know they're they just don't seem to be very grateful for all that I'm doing for them and it's like, Why is that? And it's like my wife, like I, you know, treat her so well and she's got so well taken care of, but like she's not very happy. Like, and, you know, so I I ended up becoming very resentful over that, of course, because um, I wasn't getting, you know, I I felt I was being disrespected. You know, I wasn't getting this respect that I deserved. And, you know, damn it. My family should be a lot more grateful and respectful than, than they are, and so I mean I would end up um, just, um, you know, having a lot of. I mean, I had so many negative conversations, particularly with the girls, because I had kind of like two modes. I was like workaholic, working, 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 and then I'd stop, and it'd be like adrenaline hit, like you know, those girls, what have they done? They've done something wrong. They've did this mm-hmm. bad, that bad. And I would just, you know, I was so resentful. I was just willing to pounce on them for, mm-hmm. for anything, you know. Yeah. And that's why they just ended up like they didn't want to have any, anything to do with me. I was just this kind of ogre that mm-hmm. that kind of, um, you know, bad tempered, grumpy, grumpy guy that was always giving them shit for doing stuff, you know. That was just normal teenage stuff and it's... Um, Um, you know I never didn't have that other part of that relationship with them where you know that loving kind Mm. relationship I mean it's okay to um, get um, you know upset with somebody or whatever to you know when they do something wrong or whatever you have a a couple of terse Mm. comments or whatever as long as you have that other side of the relationship but I didn't have that Mm -hmm. like I. I, there's no way that, you know, I could um, that I had any right to speak to them like that mm-hmm. because I Wasn't in their life, you know looking after mm-hmm. their needs, you know, and uh, That emotional connection with them just it wasn't very strong and you know, they wanted uh, they wanted a father in their life and um you know they had so much to offer me that I rejected all the time and I just didn't know how to ask them about their lives and all that kind of stuff so. um, Yeah but anyway so I I got into WA and um, started reading the book and started doing the steps. I got this sponsor as I said and he was this um, fellow He lived in um, in Los Angeles and uh, uh, you know he just it it was amazing I mean I started talking to him about this stuff and he was a workaholic as well of course Mm. he understood it he could relate to me he could say well this is what's going on and that's going on and you know then you know slowly the fog kind of lifted and I started to see you know How I'd been living my life, Mm -hmm. and uh, um, and I mean I I got well obviously I got to the point you know I was my life was unmanageable right and I I needed help I couldn't figure it out by myself and uh, you know the uh, workaholics anonymous it's got a very you know the the twelve steps Mm -hmm. um, that people are familiar with. um, W-A- or AA for example um, very similar uh, 12 steps that are followed in the 12 traditions mm-hmm. and um, yeah I, I started working through the steps and it took me a long time uh, you know like a lot of people I had trouble uh, doing that fourth step and kind of as a workaholic of course I had to be you know, perfect in, in doing the steps and, you know, I didn't want to just kind of scribble them out on a piece back of an envelope like mm-hmm. people can do, like, I mean, it's about writing this stuff down, getting it out, but no, no, I had to procrastinate and take my time and get it all set up nicely on my computer and, you know, I built this fancy, uh, you know, looked at all these different forms for how do you do a, a step four and like, no, no, that one's not quite perfect. and this one isn't. And I ended up building my own, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of template for doing my step four and uh, it just took forever to get through it and it's just so, uh, so difficult to get all that stuff out on paper. But um, I finally did and I I did a fifth step um, and I got a lot of relief from that. And I carried on, you know, I kept, uh, you know, going and I, um, you know, started looking at all the people I needed to make amends to and one of the things that really started to come out too is, um, and I'm not alone in my workaholism with this, like a lot of other workaholics are the same way, like I've got a lot of trouble with money. It's just not about work. It's like I've got a lot of issues with money Mm -hmm. and um, you know material things, money um, to me as a workaholic they're more important than people Mm -hmm. relationships and so it's like I always like to kind of count my money and look at my investment statements and you know when the markets were going up and things were going good I would be always be Mm -hmm. you're really excited and get that adrenaline high and and, uh, you know, when things go bad, yeah, like I get into like this depression and... Um, but it was always, um, you know, um, way too wrong of a focus on money. I would get um, very upset about small things like, um, you know, if the girls would get a, um, um, you know, a, a, a latte at, at Starbucks for like four bucks or whatever, and then as a teenager, you know, they'd only drink half of it or whatever and they'd forget about it and they'd go on and do something else. Mm. And I'd come into the k- kitchen and there'd be this you know, Starbucks latte that's only half drunk here. And it's like, you know, what is this kid doing? Like she's just wasting money spending four dollars on a Starbucks and then not drinking at all. Like, how can you be that, you know, wasteful? Mm. And, and you know, I'd get on their case for stuff like that. It's kind of this old thing of, you know, Pennywise pound foolish like I put mm-hmm. all my thinking would go into this ridiculous things and just get so worked up over small sums of money and and um, you know and again that just that just fueled my resentment and you know um, uh, and but you know that, that came out in my in my step work mm-hmm. um, this really kind of twisted Um, view of money, relationship with money and finances. And it ended up being kind of, you know, one of the first things I I worked on as well, like sort of um, in WA, one of the things is um, like a number of other 12-step programs, like what is your bottom lines. And, um, you know, so there's... um, bottom lines around you know not overworking but then you know I also had a bottom line about uh, I forget exactly what it was but it was like you know I will not turn you know these small uh, financial um, things that come on in life into this major catastrophe Mm -hmm. and and catastrophize things and um, yeah I um, you know, made this uh, made this long list of people that I needed to make amends to, and uh, um, you know, top on my list were my family, mm-hmm. and uh, they were the ones that really hurt the most, um, and um, and I made made really good solid amends to them, and that was one of the best things that I ever did to my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially. The amends to my stepdaughters. Um, I think it was uh, a defining moment in my life. Like it really changed my life. Um,
0: I can see that. Amends yeah. are powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, um, yeah, um, um, you know, then it was kind of like all these, you know, small miracles started. Happening mm-hmm. in my life. And, um, you know, that's the, the promises of WA or the promises of AA or these, you know, um, when I brought this higher power into my life mm-hmm. and really, you know, worked hard at, at letting go and just, you know, let, it, let go, let God, um, all these amazing things started to, mm-hmm. to turn around. Um uh well obviously my, my broken hip healed, although I did um end up I had to go on and have another operation, have a hip replacement, and uh, that went extremely well and um you know I, I attribute part of that medical success to my WA program and just mm-hmm. you know, willingness to um uh, let higher power into my life and uh, do things that are are good for me and give me that that good guidance yeah. and so my health now is is uh, you know i'm I'm in in really good health again have fully recovered from my my hip replacement and um, uh, as I said, one of the first things I started to work on was my relationship with money Mm -hmm. and just started to let go and really put these small things in perspective you know and started like you know just forget about the small stuff like concentrate on the big stuff Mm -hmm. so I've become much more relaxed um, from that financial point of view and that allowed me to relax in a lot of other areas in my life and um, you know I had this true desire to change and to be a different person and to really develop a better relationship with my family. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, and it it took time I think. Um, uh, You know, um, again heard the same story from lots of other addicts but it it takes a while um, for a recovering addict to be able to be trusted again. Mm -hmm. And it certainly took a while for me to uh, build up trust, yeah. uh, but I did. And um, you know, WA was there every step of the way. Um, you know, and I, continuing to go to meetings, talking to my sponsor. You know, worked all the way through the steps. And um, the situation is uh, totally turned around with my my daughters now, like they're. Um, you know, they are absolutely truly my daughters and I'm their father and I have a wonderful loving relationship with them and... Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And it's really been a, been a highlight um, in my life and to, to see that, um, that change. And uh, they've been on their own journey as well and, um, you know, we're, uh, we're a family of addicts, and, uh, you know, so we... Um, it's a family
0: disease, though.
1: It is. I mean, I know yeah. how people like to not talk
0: about that, but... Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. no, it was, you know, is in my family of origin. It was in my wife's family of origin. You know, the, the girls have inherited, a, you know, that... Um, the addiction stuff as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so we're um, all on this um, continuing journey of recovery. Um, And, uh, yeah, ended up one of the best things, too. um, It happened, yeah, and that, uh, I guess it was about a year into WA when I finally kind of, you know, got through my, Fourth and fifth step, and really started to make progress. And I started doing service work in mm-hmm. WA. Started, um, you know, took on, uh, you know, leadership role, like to be the the leader of a regular phone meeting, or, you know, be the phone list keeper for meetings. And and um, you know, I always like being the leader of the meeting because. Um, phone meetings it's easy to get distracted and go off and do other stuff or whatever but when you're the leader of the meeting you have to actually be very present and Mm -hmm. pay attention and listen to what people are saying and that really um, helped my recovery at the time I needed it like it really strengthened you know my understanding of the tools and principles and um, yeah really uh, I mean, I guess going to meetings as well and just sharing, you know, over and over again, week mm-hmm. after week, month after month. Um, you know, I've never been to a meeting that I haven't got something out of, like, every 12-step meeting that I've gone to has been a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, no matter how crappy I'm feeling, when I go to a meeting, yeah. I always end up feeling better. Yeah. So...
0: I'm familiar with that feeling, yeah, yeah, it's just something about it, right? Something happens,
1: yeah, yeah, just that um, the camaraderie, the common bond, the understanding, uh, the willingness that people have to you know listen and to participate and share so openly about their lives. Um, you know and be be vulnerable, right? Like I. Um you know vulnerability it's um, a trait that we really value in other people. Um, like when somebody's vulnerable um, you know, I find myself just drawn to that yeah. person like they just feel so much closer to them and mm-hmm. connected to them. Um, yet you know being vulnerable is always just so scary for me yeah. and um, uh, you know, I always, thought, you know, again, part of my weird, addictive thinking it's sort of like, well, knowledge is power and it's like, I want all the knowledge and I'm not giving you any of mine and Mm. I'm not telling you anything about me you know, because if I've got lots of secrets and I'm very hidden, you know, that's uh, I, I somehow, I grew up with that, I don't know, from my parents, maybe my dad was kind of paranoid, but it was like you know, don't tell anybody anything, like, you know, you don't talk about that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I certainly, I I never had uh, a relationship with my parents where we talked about, you know, issues or whatever. It was just nothing ever got discussed. It was just like silence, just zip it, don't say a word. Mm-hmm. Never happened, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's been very difficult for me to learn to open up but I mean mm-hmm. that's what the meetings do and and uh, uh, you know uh, did my fifth step and it's like oh you know can I really talk about all this stuff can I really mm-hmm. tell this person and tell God all these horrible things I've done and how ashamed I am mm-hmm. of, of myself and uh, my life and it's like well yes I, I can do that I did do that pretty good actually mm-hmm. and um, it's quite a thing, isn't it? Yeah yeah yeah. And so um, And then one thing, you know my, my wife is very perceptive and smart about all this stuff and you know she always told me like well just like open up with the girls, like just be vulnerable mm-hmm. and you know they're so endearing like they'll love you for that. And it, so it's then it was like well I was kind of pretty humbled after everything that had happened, and it's like well you know just this is this is where I'm at like you know my life is unmanageable like I um, am a workaholic and I can't control it and um, you know this this and this and that and and. It's like wow, like they really like that stuff. And it's like, geez, they seem to be really, you know, coming closer to me, yeah. and they seem to be opening up about their lives, yeah. and and um, you know, and that, that's that's the way it's it's been through yeah. through this journey. That's cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Cause I know you love those kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I shouldn't say kids. They're not kids anymore. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they're now what, uh, 26 and 24. Yeah, so. I
0: guess they will always be your kids, sort of. Yeah, so. yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So then I've, um, um, and you know, the next thing that happened basically really was, um, you know, I'd uh, started thinking seriously about retiring, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a pretty scary thought uh, to begin with, and. Um, you know, what am I gonna do with myself and uh oh you know what is it gonna be like to not have an income anymore, not have that paycheck coming in. It's like, oh that's so scary and mm-hmm. and you know if I give up this job I could, you know, never go back. And you know, it's not exactly easy to get jobs in the oil and gas industry in Calgary mm-hmm. these days. And so it was a kinda of like a one way ticket if I was going to retire. It was like that was ending it. I wasn't going back to that mm-hmm. again. So it was a pretty scary prospect. But, I mean, oh. my wife and I worked through it. And I ended up, I I did retire at um, the end of 2018. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of, you know, I, I like to say proof positive I'm not a, a workaholic anymore. So.
0: <laughs> I like it. Yeah. It's like putting the bottle down for a bit and you're like, yeah, see, I never had a problem.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> But of course you can be, um, you know, as they say in, in WA, you, know, you can be um, workaholic about anything including saving the world, right? You can, yeah. It's lots of um, people that uh, retire and that's when their workaholism really flares up actually. Yeah. So, um, But I've, um, you know, I know that I need it. I know that I'm always a workaholic mm-hmm. and, um, you know, uh, there's this um, morning meeting that I phone into. It's I've um, actually started we started um, uh, PM meetings as well. Where there's um, meeting seven days a week. A phone in meeting now wow. in the evenings, and uh, as well as the, the morning meeting that I phone into a lot. And um,
0: that's a lot of growth, like in a little bit of time, eh?
1: yeah. Right on. Yeah. So this this um, morning meeting call it the uh, WA guys mm-hmm. group. Um, it's people from mainly all over the U.S. And uh, we've got a Zoom account and uh, get on there every morning. It's uh, 9 o'clock Calgary time for a half-hour check-in. And um, we talk about what is our plan for recovery for the day. Mm-hmm. And everybody does a one-minute spiritual action plan for the day. Yeah. You know, have they got up and prayed or meditated or, you know... Um, you know, have they gone to a meeting? Do they plan to go to a meeting? Are they going to take breaks? What's their work schedule? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the tools, really good tool of um, WA is a written daily action plan. Okay. Um, and as a workaholic I know um, you know the alarm clock could go off like at 5:30, but but um, my internal alarm clock was like a shot of adrenaline at about 5.20. Just like boom. You just kind of wake up out of this sleep with a shot of adrenaline. It's like oh my god I gotta get going mm-hmm. like there's so many things I gotta do today. Yeah. And as a workaholic I would just jump out of bed, jump in the shower, get dressed, run downstairs, grab some breakfast in the car off to work mm-hmm. and uh, just get after it. Yeah with no pre planning or thought really. It's just like on this mad dash mm-hmm. to get in and get doing something. Right. Yeah. So God that would be exhausting, John, by the end of
0: the day. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then that's that's like from, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and it's still six o'clock at night, you're still yeah. doing the same thing, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I still have all these things to do today, yeah. you know? Um that's a powerful obsession, man. Yeah. That's powerful. So, yeah, as a a workaholic, a written daily action plan. And I don't do it all the time, Mm -hmm. but I've become much better at um, keeping a really good task list and um, looking at it regularly. So rather than just jumping into stuff, it's like take some time, relax, think about the day. uh, What do I really need to get done? Like, geez, I really I'd love to get all of this stuff done, but that's not a day's worth of work. That's like about a week's worth of work. So can't get all that done today. Yeah. So what are my priorities? Like, so pick a couple of priorities, and um, that's the way I try and you know run my day. Now is that um, you know I have um, I got to take care of myself. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so personal care comes first. About you know eating properly about getting, you know, the right amount of rest. Uh, I always try and get, you know, eight hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking after physically, like, you know, going to the gym or doing a workout or going for a bike ride or mm-hmm. doing something there to look after my physical body. You know, what am I going to do mentally? Am I going to go to you know, a meeting today? Am I going to phone somebody? Um, you know, so that's in there. And then it's almost like work is sort of like the last priority on the list. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, I've got these 10 things. Well, maybe I should try and get you know these two done today mm-hmm. and kind of put them on that action list. Yeah. And then that's my day. If I get those two things done along with all that other stuff, that's a successful day.
0: Yeah, right on. Yeah. That's good. It's good to develop a daily schedule, right? Yeah. Like a daily plan no matter what program yeah. it is because staying like we forget so quickly that we have this problem, mm-hmm. right? Like whether it's alcohol or a process addiction, right? Like, yeah. we, it just happens so quick that we forget yeah, and we're right back into it. Yeah. And with work, like, uh, like, like your story is, is, is so powerful for lots of reasons, right? Like, but one of the, one of the ones that stands out to me is just that correlation between lots of us who work too much right? Like the, as you're talking, I'm like, Oh my God, like how many relationships did I end because of work? Yeah. It, like, it, it's just amazing. Cause more, I ended more relationships cause they couldn't handle my love for work than I did for any other reason. Yeah. Right. Like it, it's, it's such a strange, um, monkey, mm-hmm. you know, especially when, like you said earlier, the culture of work is work hard yeah, and you'll be rewarded. Mm-hmm. Right. And and sometimes that reward is simply people leave you alone. Yeah. Right? Because that's what I always found. If I could work hard, people left me alone. Yeah. You know, and even though I would sometimes just create more work to work hard. Yeah. But in that process of that cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, always feeling like you never had stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. God, seven in the morning till six at night and you're still not finished. Yeah. Right? Because you're never going to be finished in that state. No. Yeah. That's wild, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then another very common trait with workaholics is um, work avoidance. Mm. And that's something that I suffer from as well. And it was a way of increasing the adrenaline in my life. You know, there's basically, you know, procrastination. There was always some Mm -hmm. reason that I, you know, couldn't get started on this task or you know, it had to be perfect or it wasn't the right time mm-hmm. or there was something else I wanted to do. Um, and as a uh, work avoidant, I've, I found myself a lot of time, I, I mean, I spent so much time over the years uh, with something really important on my plate and then I just fiddle my time away. Mm-hmm. And I've learned through WA that what I was doing was I was creating chaos in my life to mm-hmm. feed my addiction. Yeah, Like rather than just kind of calmly sitting down, it's like, you know, this is obviously number one, I need to get this report done or whatever, I better start writing it, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's due on Friday, today's Monday, got lots of time, you know, I'd fiddle away the, the week or whatever until, you know, it'd be Friday and it's like, um, then it becomes a panic, Mm -hmm. right? And then it's like that adrenaline rush and it's like... um, and then I got to be the important person as well because I was always rushing around with things like I was... like don't you know how important I am? I've got Mm -hmm. this important deadline. I just got to get this stuff done and it was this chaos, this adrenaline and I would bring it into my family Mm -hmm. and you know I would be very, you know, grumpy with them over that. And, um, you know, and then I'd get a negative reaction from them and that would just feed my resentment cycle and my shame and and it would just make me withdraw into Mm -hmm. work even more. And it's like, well, at least I've got work. Like, I always had work. And it was just, yeah, um, hard to describe, you know, the obsession when I was in it, you know, when it was so bad, it would just be just this, this crushing weight. You know, I'd just have a, a headache and I'd be tight and I'd be anxious and nervous and, you know, feeling down on myself and um, just like this, panic like oh my god like how am I going to get out of this situation and it's like I just can't possibly get this done and nobody can help mm-hmm. and I'm going to be this failure and oh I just got to keep working and I got to like work all night on this or whatever and I'd mm-hmm. um, there are certain times of the year or two like it was always really busy for us in the fall mm-hmm. at work we had like budgets and all this sort of stuff to do and a lot of you know salary administration stuff always was kind of like at Christmas time and stuff in our company and uh, I would invariably end up getting sick. Mm -hmm. Like I would just work such long hours and i just take it all on. It's like yes I'm here. I can get it done. I can be the hero Mm -hmm. and I would just work and work and work until I just totally destroyed my my uh, immune system and mm-hmm. I sleep-deprived and and uh, I just, i get run down, I'd get sick, I'd end up with the flu and and uh, you know, I'd be sick for a month at, at mm-hmm. you know, Christmas time, every year, never failed.
0: Yeah, and just that uh, build up of stress, eh?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's just punishing and, and that's what workaholism does, like it, you know, uh, some of these other addictions, like, you know, they'll kill you faster. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're fentanyl addict you can get to the end fairly quickly, mm-hmm. right? Like workaholics, like it's hard to you know, it does kill you, but you have to really work at it for <laughs> a long time.
0: Right. Well and it and it just destroys families like every yeah. other chemical.
1: Yeah. Right? Like yeah. it
0: just might take a little longer. Yeah. And of course when, when you're in the middle of it it's really hard for a person who's just a hard worker to say, I'm working too hard, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. that's such a hard thing for someone to say, even if they're not technically a workaholic, Yeah, um, just the culture says, grind it out, yeah. like, grind it out. That's what you're grind supposed to do is get on the grind yeah. and, and not realizing that that is probably just as equally toxic as like toxic masculinity or something like that, right? Yeah. Like that, that toxic work ethic, which is, well, it's not sustainable yeah right like it's just not
1: no, it's not sustainable and it's not um, you know we're very social beings, and it's just it's very antisocial mm-hmm. right yeah I mean, you just can't be a good workaholic if you're a social kind of a person you have to <laughs> That's true. you have to isolate and just you know
0: yeah, and yeah. you have to be able to be you have to be comfortable isolating all the time yeah. and choosing work over those things that we that we tell people that they're important right And yeah. and it's hard for them I think when they think we they believe us mm-hmm. they believe that we know that they're important but then we go and we work instead of spend time with them yeah right because that yeah. was a big thing for me a big problem it has yeah. been like up yeah. until the last few years but yeah. it's just one of those I would always take the work call yeah. right because I knew that because like you said I always felt safe with work. Yeah. I knew what I had to do. Yeah. With whatever came, I always knew what I had to do. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. And and there was there's practices in place. There's mm-hmm. procedures. There's all that stuff that made me feel really really comfortable. Yeah. And the only time I felt comfortable, mm-hmm. to be honest, and in a good portion of my life was working. Yeah. Um, it's because people left me alone. Yeah. Especially if you grind it out. Yeah. Then they're like, "Oh, look at him go." Mm-hmm. And the, and and I know nowadays that that seems silly because we, we talk about workaholism now, and it seems like that's crazy to suggest to people now that they should work 60 hours a week. Yeah. Because I think, like, maybe even your daughter's ages, um, they're probably already at a place where they're thinking, that's a bad idea.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: That generation
1: of, of young people, right, that mm-hmm. says,
0: no, we don't, we don't want to spend all our time working.
1: Yeah, no. They're the young people uh, are much smarter generation that yeah. way. They they've really, you know, tuned into that, picked it up. And
0: well, I think because they've had some good teachers, hey. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. our our parents. Like my parents were all they did was work, John. Yeah. Like when whenever and and it's not because they were, it doesn't mean they weren't there. It doesn't mean they weren't great parents. Yeah. But that's what they taught us. Yeah. My brothers and I were all three straight up workaholics. Yeah. Like yeah. from the beginning. I yeah. think it's. For me, being in recovery with with AA has helped me work on that yeah right but mm-hmm. not directly the way you did in yes. terms of the workaholism the workaholic anonymous right.
1: work yeah
0: more so through the 12 steps of AA found that one of my cross addictions was work working, yeah right?
1: yeah, like
0: yeah. W- when working would fail then I'd have to drink right you know because when you describe that uh, coming out of that task and then being grumpy yeah. God, I could relate to that. Yeah. When there's all of a sudden nothing left to do. Yeah. Oh, what are you doing over there? Why are you not paying attention to what yeah. you're doing? Yeah. It's like all of a sudden, all this stuff catches up with you. Yes. It's almost like when, when I was drinking and you'd sober up. Mm-hmm. And then you remember why you were so unhappy the day before. Yeah. Right. And it, it just comes rushing back. Yeah. And except for my case, it was just me. Mm-hmm. That's all I could see in the mirror was me, yeah. And that same guy who did the same thing over and over and over again, yeah. Right without, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm just grateful that you, um, I have I know you pretty good, and I think of you as a friend too. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, because like you've been through a lot of stuff, yeah. Right with like, and, and we don't have to talk about the details, right? Of course, but mm-hmm. it's like so much stuff, dude. And to continue moving forward um, when it probably would have been, it would have been nice to just sit. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But you didn't just sit. No. And, and that's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, well thank you. Yeah, it's, um, yeah I mean I, at some point it's sort of like I, you know once I found um, um, WA and I had, I had done some Al-Anon mm-hmm. stuff before that and I would uh, you know, I'd gone partway through the steps in Al-Anon and had been to AA meetings and so on. and um, But it wasn't until I got to WA and it's like, wow, like, yeah, that's me. You know, there's a list of 20 questions yeah. that, um, you know, are you a, a workaholic? And I answered yes, I think, to 19 out of 20 questions kind of thing. So I knew I was a workaholic and I, I really felt like mm-hmm. I fit. In there when I got there, yeah, these are my people. Yeah. I feel very comfortable when I go to like a workaholics conference or mm-hmm. something. You know, it's like yeah, this is my tribe. So yeah, yeah. That's so awesome. I'm 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 a workaholic, and that um, program has has helped me. You know, there's all these, uh, especially around relationships, and like I say, I'm codependent as well. I'm still working on my codependency. Mm-hmm. I I attend Coda meetings. Yeah. As well, and um, yeah really trying to put a lot of effort in on that these days because i've you know i've I've got my workaholism under control and i I see that my you know relationships i'm still addicted to relationships mm-hmm. and struggles there and um, but I mean w- with the twelve step programs i found you know I found out enough about myself that it's like Oh, so that's why I've been doing that. Mm-hmm. Or, Oh, I have been doing that. I see that now. Yeah. And I can see I can change, you know, I can ask higher power for some guidance on how to do things differently, mm-hmm. you know, and I can, I can get guidance from all my good buddies in these programs and, yeah. and, uh, uh, and do things differently. And that's the wonderful thing about us human beings. Mm-hmm. Like we're flawed, but we're intelligent and we can see ourselves you know where we've been and where we'd like to go to and we can do things differently like we have this huge power to change and to mm-hmm. heal and to grow
0: yeah and aren't we one of the only species that can do that
1: yeah mindfully i mean yeah. like yeah.
0: obviously species change with evolution and stuff but mm-hmm. yeah we're like the mo- we're the we have like the three we're the only species with three things and i can't remember what they are now yeah, because I'm not smart, but I yeah. I can remember that I knew something. I just don't know it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> so I guess that was a,
1: that was fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, that's um. So I, I really feel like more and more, um, the longer I'm in recovery, uh, the more recovery I think is possible. Mm-hmm. And that's
0: what good good way to put it.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, now I am um, I say I'm still very uh, codependent and um, you know, my wife and I are both very codependent. I mean I think a lot of people are codependent and it's like I agree. CODA says it's like the underlying addiction, right? Like mm-hmm. we're codependents first and then you know, dysfunctional relationships and then we just pile everything else yeah. on top of that. So yeah, that's my journey that I'm on now really. Um, trying to figure that out. And as a codependency, I think it it's, seems to me it manifests in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. But for me, way I've been codependent a lot, and I think it goes back to like my dad sort of thing as a people pleaser, right? Mm-hmm. Like I just want to keep the peace. I just want to, I've always put a lot of um, my self-worth in getting recognition of others. Mm-hmm. So like, just tell me that Johnny's a good boy and I'll be happy kind of thing. Yeah. And so that's what I've always done. It's like, oh, you need me to do this for you or that. Like, oh, I'd be happy to do that because if I do that for me for you, you're going to like me and mm-hmm. uh, think highly of me. And so, you know, that's been a big driver in my life. And uh, it's... Uh, you know, so I always try and fix the situation. If somebody's unhappy, I'm right there to say, well, how can I help? How can I make mm-hmm. you happy? What can I do? And, you know, it's a never-ending battle, obviously. There's nothing I can do to make if somebody else is unhappy. That's for them to figure out, you know, mm-hmm. what's making them unhappy and how can they make themselves happy. I can't do yeah. anything about that. But, man, I've tried hard over the years <laughs> yeah. to to fix that, and uh, um, yeah, that's another area, like I was, like I say, I'm just trying to get some further growth and relief in my life, and uh, it all comes back to this self-care. Yeah. I've been able to, say, you know, th- um, get myself untangled from um, the other people in the relationships of my life, mm-hmm. and say, what do I need to do for me, what, can I, what do I have control over? You know, I can do this, I can do that for me, take care of myself. Um, if the other person asks for help, I'll give them help. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my tendency is to just like jump in there. It's like, you've got a problem, let me help. What can I do to solve it for you? How mm-hmm. can I fix that for you? How can I relieve you of all burden and responsibility mm-hmm. and I'll take that monkey on my shoulders? And, yeah. yeah.
0: And I'll do it for you because I, I want to. Yeah. <laughs> codependency is tricky though, John. Yeah. Like it's, it's tricky because I, I think that, I think you, you said it correctly. We're all a little bit codependent mm-hmm. if not a lot. Yeah. Right. And yeah. we just don't all know all the different ways that it touches our life. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause some, some of the things that are codependent in our lives we still see as okay. Yeah. So it's hard to see it as anything but okay until you don't. Yeah. Right. And, and usually that comes from some sort of conflict. Yeah some sort of awakening to that imbalance right of power between people yeah yeah it's it's an it's an interesting one and i think i think you're right again we're gonna be like the rest of our lives working on that yeah because i i mean i've learned lots about codependency lots about working not being codependent you know and i'm still codependent yeah like there's there i still i love my parents so i'm still codependent to them like there's things that i do just for them yeah. that i wouldn't do for anyone else yeah but i don't care because yeah. they're my parents. Those yeah. are like that's one of those decisions to be codependent when I realize that's just a human condition, mm-hmm. being codependent. Yeah. Right? We're we're always striving to be interdependent with everyone else. Yeah. But the ego makes that complicated. Yeah. Right. And and so anyway, I, I'm just really grateful that we there are varying degrees. Not every level of codependency is harmful, mm-hmm. you know, and I think lots of times people throw that out there like all oh, codependency is harmful and it's like yeah it's it's not the most healthy way to have relationships yes of course not no. right but i mean codependency has been a part of love poetry forever yes like, you don't get a good love poem from back in the day without full of codependency like yes. the whole principle is codependent yeah i will die without you yes yeah. <laughs> right like if. Yeah. If ever there was like a saying that we could get rid of, it's, I would die without you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because look at us, we're not dead. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, but uh, is
1: there is there anything else you want to talk about? Yeah. Uh,
0: I could go off on tangents, John. So. Yeah.
1: Well, no, that's, uh, I think that's a lot of what I wanted to.
0: I, I really appreciate how yeah. you've described it. Like, yeah. uh, I, I think even from your and my conversations previous to this, like, I, I don't think I've ever heard the description of workaholism so like aptly put mm. in, in such a direct without maybe thinking about it, or maybe you did think about it, but it didn't seem like it without even thinking about like alcohol and drugs, it's a separate drug. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think that's, once we can start looking at things like workaholism, sexism, whatever it is as its separate drug yeah, and its own entity, yeah. just as equally dangerous as the other ones. Yeah. Just in different ways, right? Like you yeah. said, it might take you a little longer, Yeah. but I mean, think about it. If you, if you're a workaholic and you're, you're a young workaholic, but you're in a stressful high risk field, yeah. well, you might not make it to old age. Right. Right. And yeah. so it, it's kind of like, I, we were going to talk about workaholism in general, like a couple of weeks from now, mm-hmm. we changed our mind cause we're like squirrels, but we were going to, because it's so prevalent. Like yeah, all the guys, all the guys and girls that I know work too much. Yes, right, and have we have an overinvestment in our work? Yes. Well, I should say not all of them, most of them. Darcy did not have an overinvestment in his work. <laughs> Darcy was as invested in his job as I th- wish I could be, to be yeah. honest. Like yeah. he, like a mirror of, okay, that's a job. Yeah, <laughs> like I have a family I love. I have other things I love to do. And I, 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 find it really helpful to have people who mirror that. Yeah. Right. Who can mirror that? Like, no, like, I'm just not going to work two straight days. Yeah. Like, why would I do that? Yeah, You know, no. like, instead of, I really want to see my wife. It's kind of why we got married. It's yeah. kind of, I like my child, you yeah. know, like, but it's not as though working and, and not being with them means you don't like them. Like, cause I, I, I relate like it, it you love them. Yes. That's why you're doing it. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. It, it's a 100% directly translated in the brain to this equals love for you. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. I, I mean, I'm not suggesting why you did it because you know your reasons. But yeah. I know for me, that's what it was all about.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? doing stuff for other people, it was this is how I show you I love you. Yeah. You know, even though that's not really how it works. Yeah. Because each person receives love differently.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean I think for like normal people that are not workaholics, like they've they've got a job, they work hard at their job, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, but it's it's just a job, like they're yeah. a separate person from their job. But for me as a workaholic, like there wasn't a lot of separation mm-hmm. between me and my job. Like I was my job, my job was me. Yeah. And you know, it's just hard to um, overemphasize how large work looms mm-hmm. in the workaholic's life, yeah. right? Like getting this stuff done mm-hmm. is just um, like it just consumes everything else.
0: Yeah. yeah. And see, as an alcoholic, I can relate to that 100%. Yeah. Because yeah. alcohol consumes everything else. Yeah. There's nothing else outside of alcohol yeah. or drugs, right? Yeah. In those situations. So, I, um, Thank you so much, man. Yeah, well, you're welcome. I always appreciate spending time with you and talking to you, man. So thank you for coming. Very welcome. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.